Did you know 90% of the world's data was discovered just in the last two years? And you have access to much of that knowledge right at your fingertips on your phone. What an incredible time to be alive, right? And yet with all this knowledge, are we any better for it? We see growing mental illness, political polarization, climate crisis, racial reckoning. We're burnt out and our divisions seem to grow, not shrink. Has all this knowledge made us any better at life? We have an abundance of knowledge and a scarcity of wisdom, but we need wisdom right now because wisdom is all about developing the discernment and the character to know how to turn knowledge into a life well lived, which is something we all want. We all want to live well and data just isn't going to get us there. So during the season of Epiphany here at Salt House, we are seeking wisdom from the wisdom tradition in the Bible. We'll explore the three wisdom literature books. It's fun to think of them embodied as characters. So let us introduce you to Proverbs, the bright young teacher who teaches you how to be good at life. But then meet Ecclesiastes, the cynic grad student who isn't afraid to get into the darker truths of existence. And then there's our friend Job the weathered old man who's seen it all, life at its best and its worst, and found God in the ashes. To these three, we'll add the unique irrational wisdom of love from the book called The Song of Songs on the Sunday closest to Valentine's Day. And lastly, we'll hear from the foolish wisdom of Jesus that turns our worlds upside down. Each of these books of wisdom seem completely different from each other, yet holding them together, we see a full picture of biblical wisdom. Even in their differences, they all agree on two things. First, if you want wisdom, all you need is what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord, which is another way of saying you must start with the beginner's mind, that humble stance that says, God, you're the teacher and I'm the student. I know enough to know that I don't know. And second, if you want wisdom, you got to ask. You got to want it and must have a curious desire to become wise. The good news is that God promises to give wisdom freely and generously to absolutely anyone who wants it and is willing to learn. So do you want it? Do you desire wisdom? Then join us now as we are together seeking wisdom. All right. How's everybody doing? Good? Dang it. So, um... Job, then, okay. Um, uh, can you excuse me just for a minute? I just, oh, I'm just gonna hold on. <sighs> God. Zach thought his sermon on Ecclesiastes was gonna suck, and I just feel like this is gonna be worse, God. <laughs> and I'm like the fun pastor. Like, I. I <laughs> I, I'm, an, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Like I, I just, I seek fun. I, you know, I like, I like weddings over funerals. And, and this is just, this is gonna, this sermon's gonna get low. Okay, well, I think, you know, for some people it's gonna be too dark. And then other people it's gonna be like not dark enough. And it's like no one's gonna be happy with it. And, and that's basically what this book is about, is the path of descent that inevitably we all go on. So it seems fitting. All right. Oh, gosh, you guys are still here. Okay. 
Well, do you want to hear about Job? Okay. I guess we're going to do this. Well, when we first meet Job, like, everything is going great. Like, Job's a really, you would love Job. He's a good dude. He's honest and he's wise. He's, wise. he's, he's deeply devoted to God. And he loves his family really well. And, like, he does everything well, actually. He's basically like the poster child for Proverbs. This is Job, right? If Proverbs says, God's wisdom orders the universe, do the wise thing and life's going to work out for you, do the foolish thing and you'll suffer, then that's Job. Job is wise and loving and righteous and he's got this like great life to show for it. It's like, you know, very social media worthy. He's got the, the ancient Near Eastern version of the perfect family. His business is booming. He's got six-pack abs, and he just won a triathlon at age 40. Like, who's got time for that? Job has everything that Proverbs promises. But you've, you've seen this movie before, right? Like, you know, like, where this, this is just a setup, right? Things are about to go south. But before they do, we get to speculate about what's happening behind the scenes here. The curtain is lifted up. We're introduced to two other characters. The first one's God, and you know, God's doing God's stuff. And then we're introduced to a character that the Hebrew scriptures called the Satan, which means the accuser. And God says, man, isn't Job the best? He's just the best, isn't he? And the Satan says, well, yeah, you pay him to be. God's like, what? No way. And the Satan is like, you know, God, that Job just loves you because all the good stuff in his life. It's entirely transactional. So just watch. If I take it away, he'd turn on you just like that. And God's like, yeah, we'll see. And in the next scene, we see Job get the phone call that just like everyone dreads getting. And that's the first part of the book of Job. What happens when loss comes calling? And I remember the first uh, time experiencing that phone call. I was 11 years old. Uh, my mom answered, she listened. She gasped, she gave the phone to my dad, and he turned white, and loss was calling. And it was Palm Sunday, and his dad, my grandfather, had died. And I had never seen my dad cry before. It was the first time. And I know that you know that call too, when loss comes calling. The house that you own is foreclosed on, the business you built, shuts its doors. The doctor has news, wants to share it with you directly. The papers are served. The voice on the other end begins by saying, I don't know how to tell you this, but then does. And Job, Job is a book of extremes. Like he gets all the calls on one day. Job, your business is gone, you're bankrupt, your family has died in a terrible accident. And if there could be anything more, your reputation's destroyed. And you have an unknown, untreatable illness. It is a bad day. 
Job is a story about loss and the path of descent that inevitably comes with the second half of life. Richard Rohr describes life in two halves. He says the first half is all about building your life up. You build your identity. This is who I am. And you do it through accomplishing things, important things. And then by protecting those things with security. And that's not bad. The first half of life is good. It's essential. And it's the wisdom of the Proverbs that helps you to do this. We need this sense of ego. We need this esteem. It's the task of the first half of life. But there's more. There's a second half of life too, and it's different. The task is different. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes and Job are about. Because in the second half of life, we're initiated into the harsh realities, the dark truths that Zach spoke of last week. It is through failure or significant loss that you discover that the self that you've built in the first half of your life is not all of who you are. In the second half of life, we discover that it's no longer enough to find meaning in being successful or healthy. You have a deeper identity, a deeper purpose. But to discover that, we all must go on the path of descent. Rohr calls it the death of the false self. It's what Freud calls the ego self. It's what the Apostle Paul calls the old creation. And it's failure or significant loss that sets us on that path. Um, You remember the movie Forrest Gump? I am sorry. Like, I know, like, Pastor Sarah had Tick, Tick, Boom. You had Wicked, Zach. And I don't have a musical. It's like, what kind of salt house pastor are you? You're not referencing a musical right now. It has a lot of good music in it, okay? Forrest Gump has a lot of good music in it. So I think Lieutenant Dan is the perfect example of this. When we meet Lieutenant Dan, he's just like at the top of his life because he's exactly where he wants to be. He's leading soldiers into battle in Vietnam because his destiny is to die in battle with honor. Like all the men in his family that have gone before him, everything is going as planned until Forrest Gump picks him up and saves him from the battlefield. And that's the moment his life begins the path of descent. (laughs) Lieutenant Dan, ice cream. He's in the veteran's hospital bed next to Forrest, recovering from double leg amputation. And he, he pulls Forrest to the floor and he says, I should have died out there with my men. I was supposed to die in the field with honor. But now look at me. I had a destiny. I was Lieutenant Dan Taylor. And Forrest says, well, you still are Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan's identity is shattered, his purpose shattered. He's on the journey of the second half of life. And here's how Job says it. Job says this in chapter 10. God, you made me like this handcrafted piece of pottery. And now 
you're going to just smash me to pieces? Don't you remember how beautiful you worked my clay? Will you reduce me now to a pile of mud? Oh, that marvel of conception you stirred together, semen and ovum. What a miracle of skin and bone and muscle and brain. Carry on, June. You gave me life itself, an incredible love. You watched and guarded every breath that I took. But you never told me about this part. I should have known there was more to it. That if I so much as missed a step, you'd notice. You'd pounce. You wouldn't let me get by with a thing. So if I'm truly guilty, then I'm doomed. And if I'm innocent, it's, it's no better. I'm still doomed. So why? Why did you have me born in the first place? And for Job, everything falls apart. All of this happens in the first two chapters. Almost the entire book of Job is spent trying to make sense of this suffering. And doesn't that feel true to life? <laughs> and this comes through three new characters who are Job's well-meaning friends. They're Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, great names. <laughs> There's a fourth one. He comes in at the end, but he's like late to the party, and everyone's like, we already said all that stuff, so... You don't have to worry about him. They spend over 30 chapters trying to solve the problem of Job's suffering. Have you ever had someone try to solve your suffering? Maybe you've tried to solve someone's suffering too. Maybe you've tried to solve your own suffering. When someone does this, what they are really saying is, look, I am really uncomfortable with your pain and I'm trying to do the impossible, which is to take your suffering away from you. And beneath all of that, what they're really saying is, I am scared as hell. But there are a thousand and one ways to try and solve suffering. And Job's friends, they try them all. Uh, if only I could determine the cause, then at least I would know why. And then maybe that would feel like some kind of control in a situation that is utterly out of my control. And then maybe, maybe I could avoid suffering in the future. That's one way that we try to avoid or solve suffering. If only I could find someone to blame. This is my parents' fault. This is the government's fault. This is my spouse's fault. This is the devil's fault. This is God's fault. This is my fault. I'm being punished. If I could just find someone to blame, then it would solve my suffering. Or if only we could find the good. It's just like there's a lesson here, right? There's a lesson for me in this. There's a silver lining in the suffering. I could weigh this good against the bad and find some kind of net positive that would make it just all worth it. That's another way we try to solve suffering. 
Job's friends, they make a lengthy case for all of these, these reasons. But in the end, the complexity of suffering is never satisfied by any of those solutions. If it could be, it would not be suffering. Because suffering is something that cannot be solved. Any, anyone who tells you otherwise, they're trying to sell you something, okay? And if you hoped that the book of Job would solve the problem of suffering, better get your money back. Because suffering cannot be solved. Suffering cannot be solved. But it can be met. And that's what happens in the last chapters of Job. After 34 excruciating chapters, and I read them all in preparation for this, of going back and forth with his friends and failing to make meaning of his suffering, Job just demands, demands for God to show up. Have you ever demanded for God to show up? Explain yourself, God. And God does. But for Job, it's not a gentle whisper, you know, like in the story of Elijah on the mountain, you know. For Job, it's in the form of a great storm. It's in the form of a full-on brawl with God. Just like Lieutenant Dan. Uh, do you remember this scene? He's on board the Bubba Gump shrimp, that, that boat, you know, that shrimping boat. He says to Forrest, where's this God of yours? And it's funny that Lieutenant Dan said that because just then God showed up. And in the next scene, we see the ship being thrown around by this hurricane. And Lieutenant Dan is riding it out atop the mass, screaming at the top of his lungs, it's time for a showdown. I'm right here. It's you and me. And in Job, this storm has a voice. And the voice says, Job, put your big boy pants on and we'll talk. But God does not give a direct answer. God doesn't tell him about the conversation with the Satan or any of that. Instead, what God does is take Job on this virtual tour of the universe. Asks Job, do you think you can run this thing? Do you think you can understand it just for a day? And Job's mind is just blown by the vastness, by the intricacy, by the complexity by the detail with which God knows the cosmos so intimately. Um, have you ever had this experience where you're just like, you're at the top of a mountain peak and you just, you like look out over this thing, this landscape before you, this massive, or maybe you're like um, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a boat and you just look out at the massiveness, this encounter with something so much greater than yourself. Do you know this feeling? Like, I am just a speck in this thing. And then the next thing that God does is something really weird. God introdu introduces Job to two beasts that seem just utterly terrifying. 
Um, I can remember being in Thailand and like standing next to this elephant whose like leg was just like bigger than me, you know? And just thinking, my goodness, this thing could just like make a wrong move and squash me. And that's what happens to Job when God shows him these two beasts that would just devour him for a snack. And then God says something interesting. God says, these beasts aren't evil. These beasts that you think are evil aren't evil. They are a part of my good world. And that's it. That's God's whole defense right there. (laughs) Nothing is solved. And yet, Job has an encounter that he can't explain. Job has been met by a power that's greater than himself. And he's resituated in a universe in which he's not God. And he doesn't need to be special or rich or famous to feel alive. And this aliveness comes from the inside out. This aliveness comes from the inside out. I I think this is what we mean when we say God saves you. Job is both grounded and broken open simultaneously. Because Job couldn't understand the complexity of the universe, even if God lays it out there for him. He never gets to know why. He, like, why, why the suffering? Never gets to know. We don't either. We don't get to know. But somehow, he comes to a place of humility and peace. And he returns to that fear of Yahweh, that beginner's mind that just started this whole wisdom quest. Because the wisdom journey is not a straight line of progress like we want it to be. It's not. It's a deepening spiral. It always circles back around. And then what happens next in the story of Job is also extreme. Job ends up with double what he had at the beginning. Not because he passed some test or something. The whole book's trying to say, no, it's not about that, right? It's not because he passed some test. The book ends this way to say, everything in life is gift. There is life after death, all the deaths. Trust the wisdom of God. And that's, that's it, friends. That's it. That's the wisdom of Job. You can't get this wisdom by reading it. You got to live it. And you will. You will. But Job, not even Job, is the end of our, our wisdom journey. There are two things that have the power to transform us. The first one is great suffering. Zach and I have talked about that. Great suffering has the power to transform us. The second thing is great love. And that's what Pastor Sarah is going to talk about next week. Next week, there is a wisdom that only great love can teach us. So we're going to dive into next week the book that the Bible calls the greatest song ever sung. That's what Song of Songs means. I hope it's not oversold, Sarah. The greatest book. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it is going to be so good. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Will you pray with me? Holy One, all of our lives go on this path. It's not strange to the human experience. It's not strange to you either. Our meaning-making falls short, and what we need is an encounter with you. We need a transcendent encounter. So would you give us the courage to demand that you show up? In our suffering, may we demand that you show up. Amen.